0: So Jesus, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take what I'm going to say and the thoughts we're going to think these next few minutes and help us see you more clearly so that we can follow you more closely. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Good to see all of you. I want to welcome those of you who are watching on the podcast. A friend of mine tells a story of when she was first married, just, just barely back from the honeymoon, and she made a batch of brownies, and she was really excited that she had done something so domestic. So when her husband came home, she was really eager, and she said, look, dear, I made you some brownies. Well, he took a bite, just one bite, put it down. And he said, hmm, next time, remember, I don't like nuts. He spent the next 15 minutes trying to get her to stop crying as she crammed the brownies down the garbage disposal one at a time. And to this day, whenever she tells that story, he goes, what? It was, she needed to know that information. I can tell just by looking at some of you, you're thinking, what did did he do wrong? (laughs) Ask your wife if you don't understand. Sometimes the things we say can provoke a big reaction And that's kind of what the sermon series we're going to do uh, all throughout the summer. We're going to look at these statements that are known as Jesus I am statements. Throughout the Bible, Jesus says things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And to us, they seem sort of innocuous, especially if we've heard them in church a lot. But they are actually scandalous, shocking statements that provoked big reactions. In one case, a riot. And I believe if we understand these statements better, Jesus gets a lot bigger, a lot more interesting than we think he is, which makes our lives bigger and a lot more interesting than we might otherwise have if we get these statements. They are bold claims that lead to bold, fearless living. For starters, whenever Jesus uses the phrase, I am, he is claiming to be God. See, back in the Old Testament, God said to Moses, my name is, I am. So whenever Jesus says, I am, he's claiming God's name. And we see that in the passage that Tim just read for us, where Jesus is on trial and the high priest asks him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus says, I am. Now, in Jesus' day, Messiah was a military hero the Israelites were hoping for, descended from King David, who would restore Israel back to its glory days. But Jesus ups the ante on what it means when he adds this, and you will see the Son of Man, that's a messianic term, at the right hand of the Mighty One coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, notice he doesn't say clouds in the sky. He says clouds of heaven, heavenly clouds. In other words, the glory of God. He is claiming to be God. And as C.S. Lewis says, anyone who makes such a claim is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And you got to pick. I believe he's Lord. And this claim makes the religious leaders so angry, they start beating him right in the middle of the trial. But that word Messiah that Jesus uses there, it goes even deeper than that. Because Messiah was also linked to three roles, three offices, prophet, priest, and king. And you can see Jesus referred to as all three in this passage, ironically, in the ways he is mocked. For instance, at the end of today's passage, it says they blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. In other words, mocking him as a prophet. few verses later, soldiers put a crown of thorns on his head and mock him as king. And then on the cross, the religious leaders mocked him, saying he saved others, but he can't save himself, mocking him as savior, which we'll see in a minute is his role as priest. Prophet, priest, king. And when we allow Jesus to be all three in our lives, we get more brave, we get more bold, we get a more whole way of living, more joy, more transformation, more revival in our lives. So let me kind of unpack these three roles. And this will be a different kind of sermon than I normally do, a little more teachy than the normal sermon that I do, but it's good for you. (laughs) First, in claiming to be Messiah, Jesus is claiming to be a prophet. Now the word... The best describes a biblical prophet is bold. Prophet wasn't someone who told the future. Sometimes they did that. But mostly a prophet spoke truth to power, said the hard things to kings and rulers. They were brave, bold, kind of in-your-face kinds of people who tried to shock folks into seeing some truth. So for instance, the prophet Amos says this to the rich women in Israel, Hear this word, you fat cows of Bashan. I bet he got emails on that one. Ah, don't try it at home, kids. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. So apparently they oppress their husbands as well as the poor. Prophet Isaiah, speaking of how the people of Jerusalem no longer follow God, he says this, see how the faithful city has become a whore. Whoa, that is not church talk, Isaiah. And those are just the passages that I can read, by the way. As I've said before, if I were to read Ezekiel 23 in church, I might get fired. It is too, it's just too graphic. It's too sexual. It's, it's you know, Ezekiel 23, you're all going to go home and read it, I know. So <laughs> I couldn't read, I know you minds. I couldn't read it in church because it doesn't use church words. Think about that. When did we decide to be more polite than God. When did we decide certain things don't belong in church and certain things do and why? Actually has to do more with Queen Victoria than the Bible, but that's another sermon. So basically the prophets were the shock jocks of their day. Because sometimes we need a prophet to tell us what we need to hear. Shock us into seeing some kind of truth. And Jesus is a prophet. He calls one group of people a brood of vipers. He calls another group of people, your father is the devil. You know who he says that to? Religious people. It's interesting. Jesus only got mad at religious people. And here's where a prophet is a problem. See, the problem with a prophet is they're a pain in the neck. Always confronting you, telling you what you don't want to hear, pointing out your sin. Right, but we need to hear it. Pastor John Orkberg puts it this way. He said, imagine picking your car up from the shop and the mechanic says, this, this car is in great shape. But then later that day, your brakes give out. And imagine if you took it back and the mechanic said, well, you know, I didn't tell you because I didn't want you to feel bad about your brake problem. And, you know, I I was afraid you wouldn't like me. And I I want my mechanic shop to be a safe space where you feel loved and accepted. You'd be like, you're a mechanic. Stop loving and accepting me. Tell me the truth about my car. right?" Or if the doctor said, you are in great shape and you're actually the Pillsbury Doughboy, one jelly donut away from a heart attack. Right? When something matters, we need the truth, and someone's got to love us enough to tell it to us. And that someone is Jesus. See, now Jesus, he, he loves us so much he's going to say, you know, here's where you can grow. He doesn't ever do that in a way that shames or blames us, but he does convict us. And as I've said before, conviction is different than shame and guilt. Shame and guilt says, I am wrong. Conviction just says, I've done wrong. And we need that so we can grow. See, here's the fundamental question. Who tells you what's good for you and what isn't? Who tells you what will bring you life and what won't? Now, you may think, well, I'm an adult. I can think for myself. (laughs) That's charming. (laughs) No, you don't. And neither do I. We take our cues from the culture. You guys are liking this better than over there. Anyway. (laughs) nine o'clock wasn't awake yet. We take our cues from the culture. We take our cues from the people around us. And here's where the Bible is so important. Because in it, God tells us what is good for us and what isn't, even if what is good for us is harder as it often is. But what do we do when we hear what we don't want to hear? When God says something we don't like, what do we do? We ignore it, or we explain it away, The one I hear the most often is, you know, the Bible was written a long time ago, and it was a different culture, and some things are just cultural, and they don't apply anymore. Sometimes I'll hear people say, well, you know, in this church we have women pastors. Doesn't the Bible say you shouldn't have women pastors? So obviously there are some things that are just cultural, and we can ignore them. Okay, that's a terrible argument, and it's not why we have women pastors here. I'll get to that in a minute. See, here's the problem with the cultural, that's just cultural argument. Where do you stop? I can make an argument, for instance, that we don't need to take care of the poor anymore, even though it's all over scripture that we should. I could say, you know, back then there was no safety net, no government safety net, but now we have one, so we're off the hook. Or I could make an argument that you don't need to stay married to the same person for life. I mean, that was for that culture back then when people only lived until they were 35 or 40. I mean, you can put up with anyone for that long, but nobody can stand someone for 50 years, goodness sake, right? See, some of you are laughing too hard at that. See, (laughs) where do you stop with that argument? Well, then, why do we have women pastors? Simple. It's biblical. Because, yes, there are some passages in the Bible that say that women shouldn't lead. There are those passages. There are other passages where women do lead. Deborah, Hunia, who's called an apostle, Priscilla, the first proclaimers of the resurrection, were women. In other words, on women in ministry, the Bible presents two options. Where the Bible gives us two options, we are free to choose based on the leading of the Holy Spirit and what seems right and fitting. But where the Bible only gives us one option, say in the case of monogamy or caring for the poor or many other things, then we are called to obey. Who tells you what's good for you? Our culture or Jesus through Scripture? Let me ask, does Jesus ever challenge you on how you spend your money? or your time, or your attitudes? Does Jesus ever challenge your politics? As I've said before, if Jesus always backs your political positions, that's a good sign that you're following a Jesus you made up. The Jesus of the Bible, his political slogan would be something to offend everyone. Here's the thing. If someone loves you as Jesus does, then they're going to play the role of prophet to help you become everything God intended you to be coach I know of at a Christian University track coach and one time he was meeting with one of his athletes, a freshman, and he was asking him, you know, how's school going and how's your faith life and what about girls? And, and the freshman said, oh, girls, oh, just there's this one and every time I get around her, I just feel so awkward. And the coach said, well, it's because you are awkward. I mean, you get all goofy and you and your friends get all loud and you revert back to nine-year-old humor and you think it's funny, but the girl's not laughing. And he said, it's like little kids in the woods, you know, when they see a bird or a chipmunk or something and they make all this noise and they rush at it and they scare it away. You're scaring the girls away, son. (laughs) At this point, the freshman's just riveted, right? And the coach went on to sort of tell some stories of, you know, his experiences and what he'd learned along the way about romance and all of that. And this freshman was so grateful, loves this coach. The coach confronted, told truth, so that this young man could get a date. (laughs) We need prophets in our lives for many reasons. So here's a prayer. Jesus, confront me. Be my prophet. Second, Jesus comes as priest. Now, if bold and brash describe a prophet, then loving, merciful, serving describes the priest. In the Bible, the priest was the one who who mediated between God and people. He'd take the hopes, the fears, the sins, the needs of the people to God as mediator. He'd also present a sacrifice for the people's sin, showing that sin causes all kinds of pain, and in order for there to be justice, there has to be punishment. But he'd offer a slaughtered lamb as a substitute for the people asking God's forgiveness. So easy to see how Jesus is priest, as Messiah, right? He takes the punishment for our sin that we deserved, So he is our substitute. But his role as priest goes even deeper than just forgiveness. He is also our mediator. Because he is both God and human, he can can reconnect us. He can show us who God is, and he can show God who we are because he's both. Plus, it also means he understands us, stands in our place. The Bible says we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize With our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. In other words, Jesus understands our lives, he's been there. One of you told my wife recently about a young couple you know, who they just had their second child. So they're exhausted, kind of not really themselves. And as they were leaving the hospital with the baby, they got their toddler strapped into the car seat and the toddler was screaming and crying. And then they strapped in the baby and the baby was crying. And the wife got in the front seat, sat down and she was crying. And she said, I just don't like them very much. And then her husband started to cry and he said, neither do I. Now, of course, they didn't mean it. It was temporary insanity brought on by being a parent. It lasts for 20 years or so. <laughs> right? But many parents in the room can sympathize with that. Right? Jesus can sympathize. He has lived our life, which means he can help us rise above sin and become different people. And this makes Jesus different than every other God in every other religion. See, every other God has a prophetic edge to them, telling us what to do this, that, the other thing. Only Jesus gets off his throne, enters into our lives, humbly serves, and says, here's what my best for you is. Let me help you get there. That's priest. Now, for most of you, or most of us, me, myself inclu- myself included, you, you might be thinking, now that priest thing sounds a whole lot better than that prophet thing. I really like the priest thing, right? Jesus, be my priest. Yeah. No, priest is actually pretty scandalous and challenging, too. See, there's a story in the Bible where it says that Jesus says to a tax collector named Matthew, come follow me. Tax collectors in Jesus' day worked for the occupying Roman army, and the way they made a living was by collecting more than the people actually owed and pocketing the difference. So think traitor and extortionist. They were not popular. That's Matthew. And Jesus makes him a disciple. That is Jesus as priest. But it gets even more scandalous than that because the story goes on and it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, whose house? Do you think anyone ever went to Matthew's house? Well, he's a guy nobody likes, right? And who else is at this dinner? Notice it says many, not just a few, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. Okay, this is the, the strippers and the drug dealers and the terrorists and the pornographers and the embezzlers and the white collar criminal. I mean, this is not a Bible study, right? <laughs> Typical anyway. And that's the point. And then it says, when the Pharisees saw this, Pharisees are the religious leaders, and whenever you see the phrase, but the Pharisees, in the Bible, it's like the theme music to Jaws. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and thinners? (laughs) Religious people have always been a problem for God. Because as Mark Twain says, they are good in the worst sense of the word. In other words, they're saying, why does Jesus hang out with these people? Why does, he, why does he hang out with the sinners and the freaks and the weirdos and the wrestling fans and all the rest? You're like, <laughs> why, does, why doesn't Jesus just hang out with normal people? Because there are no normal people. And because Jesus isn't nice, and he didn't come to be nice. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. See, religious people stand back and they say, oh, those folks are messed up. But they don't do anything to help. Jesus says, you need help, so here I am. That's Jesus as priest. And it challenges us to reach out to the marginalized, the lonely, the unliked in our lives. Prophet, priest, and then finally Jesus as king. And not just over peoples and tribes and nations, but over every single aspect of our life. What you say, Pastor? Every single aspect of our life. Oh, there's the rub, right? Because we're pretty good at sort of Jesus, you can have this part, but not this part of my life. I mean, we like to be king, not Jesus be king. We like to be king. I mean, just watch people in a coffee shop, right? I want a half-calf, double-foam, triple-shot of peppermint mocha, soy macchiato, 127 degrees with extra sprinkles. Don't forget the sprinkles. I am king of my coffee. (laughs) And I do stuff like this all the time. On vacation, I get this huge sense of entitlement when I am on vacation. You know, oh, my pina colada is melting. Where's God when it hurts, you know? (laughs) Why do bad things happen to good pastors? All because I've got this kingdom thing going on. I am king here. Jesus, you know, you can have this part, but not that part. And we do that all the time. But, but that, that's not Jesus' king. We can't say, Jesus, you, you can have these things over here, but this one, this is mine. It's personal. I got it, Jesus. I am, I am the vacation king. You're king of everything else, but I'm the vacation king. Here's the thing. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And unless we let him in as king of our marriages, families, finances, careers, friendships, he can't help those things get better because we're doing those things our way, not his. And even if those things are good, don't you think they could be better with Jesus? That good marriage could be even better. That good career could be even more of an adventure. That good friendship even deeper if you made Jesus king over it all. Prophet, Priest and king. And here's the important point, and the one that I really want you to remember, okay? If you take home nothing else, take home this. It has to be all three. See, Jesus is not like baseball. Okay, I know that was an abrupt shift, but just go. Jesus likes baseball because it's heavenly, but he is not (laughs) like baseball. In baseball, one out of three or two out of three is doing pretty well, right? I mean, if you get even one hit at every three at-bats, you've got a good batting average. If you win two out of three games, that is awesome. And I know for us Mariners fans, I've reached a level of theoretical abstraction we have no practical experience of, but just stick with the metaphor. In order to expand our lives, make us braver, ease our loneliness, Jesus has to be all three. He is Savior and Lord. If he is not Lord, he cannot save us because we haven't given him all of our life. If he is not Savior, he has no right to be our Lord because then he's just demanding. Prophet, priest, and king, it's got to be all three. There are times we need that hard truth in order to grow. Times when we need that loving presence in order to have the, the encouragement to grow. And as we walk with Jesus more and more, we realize, hey, here's some parts of my life that I haven't given over to Jesus. Jesus, you got to be king over here. It's got to be all three. Otherwise, all kinds of distortions start to enter in. For instance, if you see Jesus as king who rules and prophet who speaks, but not as priest who serves, you will see Jesus as harsh, demanding, and judgmental. And the result is either pride because you feel like you're keeping all the rules or despair because you feel like you aren't. Likewise, if you see Jesus as prophet and priest but not king, your life will be ineffective because you're still doing stuff your way. And this is where a lot of Christians are today. Yeah, I know Jesus loves me, but the marriages still have the same divorce rate and and families just as messed up and money, the way we do money, is the same as the rest of the culture because we haven't made Jesus king there. And finally, if you see Jesus as king and priest but not as prophet, that's the Jesus who never points out where we need to grow and so we don't. So then real quick, how do we receive Jesus as all three? A couple of things, just real quick, and they're pretty basic. right? First, Bible. Read the Bible. But don't just read it. Pray before you read every time. Jesus, if I need a hard truth, show it to me. Or reveal your love and encouragement. Or show me an area of my life that I have not surrendered to you. Pray that as you read this week. Second, silence, solitude, prayer, and fasting. Listening, ready to hear those thoughts that maybe aren't your thoughts that come from God. And third, pay attention to the events of your life, good or bad. God speaks through those two. There's a man named John Perkins. Some of you have met him, and I've met him. Very inspiring African-American man who has worked for racial reconciliation and helped to get poor people out of poverty. And he tells a story of when he was a young man campaigning for civil rights in Mississippi back in the 60s. And after a march, there were seven vans carrying African-American students back to their, to their colleges. Well, right near the county line, a patrol car pulled over one of these vans. And later, Perkins got a call telling him that those students had been put in jail. So he got two other pastors and they headed to the jail to bail him out. But on the way, Perkins had this thought, I wonder if this is a trap to get the leadership of the march. Sure enough, when they arrived, there were dozens of cops and they grabbed Perkins and they said, you're not in Simpson County anymore. You're in Brandon now and it's different. And they began to just, they just beat him very severely. Perkins said their faces were so full of hate, they looked like white devils. And they beat him very badly and they threw him into jail. Well, later that night, Perkins said Jesus began to comfort him and show him his presence as any good priest would do, but then also began to challenge him. Perkins said this, For the first time, I saw what hate had done to those people. Those policemen were poor. They saw themselves as failures. The only way they knew how to find a sense of worth was by beating us. It made them feel like somebody. When I saw that, I couldn't hate back. I said, God, if you let me get out of this jail alive, I want to preach a gospel that will heal these people too. And he said, even though the students who were watching him that night were just sure that he was dead or about to die, he survived. And after that, he said, my call to preach the gospel now extended to white people as well. And ever since then, he has helped many, many people climb out of poverty. He has brought all kinds of healing and reconciliation in Mississippi, but also in places all around the world. Very inspiring man. Jesus came to him as priest, but also as prophet, called him to love those who were hard to love and then claimed to be king over Perkins' entire career and preaching, extending it to the people that had been so cruel to him. And the result was all kinds of healing and wholeness and reconciliation and revival. Prophet, priest, king. Ask Jesus, before you leave, ask Jesus to reveal to you which of those three you need more of in this season of your life. Ask him to be prophet who calls you to grow and priest who assures you of his love and let him be king over it all. Because when Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, all three, we are changed and we become agents of change in God's world that so desperately needs to be revived. So will you let him be all three for you starting today? Jesus, speak the hard word. We don't want to hear it. We fight it, but speak the hard word when we need to hear it. And Jesus, show us your love and encouragement. And Lord, we want to surrender it all. Not some. We want to surrender it all to you by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to do that because we cannot do it without you, Jesus, our prophet, our priest, our king. Thank you. In your name, amen.